Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Martin Willis, your host, and we have an interesting show for you tonight. There's a gentleman named Nathan. He's coming on and, you know, uh, I only have his first name. So it's kind of like, you know, there's Madonna, Cher, uh, Prince, people like that, you know, so maybe it's just Nathan. No, I'll talk to him a little bit about that. But anyway, uh, last uh, I, I want to say a shout out to Aaron who uh, found me somehow found me at the uh, Pine Bush uh, conference that I was at this and fair that I was at last weekend. That was a lot of fun. And uh, so, uh, but, you know, I made the mistake. I didn't wear a t-shirt or anything like that. So I, only Nathan, I mean, Aaron found me. So anyway, <laughs> uh, uh, so Pine Bush, that happens every year about this time of year. And I, I recommend going. It's interesting. They have some good speakers there. I was actually one of the speakers at the last minute type of thing. And that was a lot of fun. And one of the things I I brought in the topic there was uh, when the people, a lot of people that listen to the show, the reason you're listening to the show, I'm saying a lot of people, not everyone, but was because you had some type of an encounter. And a while back, I, I did this little um, shout out to people that listen to the show who have had an encounter. Please, if you'd like, and it's an interesting one please email me at martin at podcastufo.com. And I encourage you to do that again. And we had some great people uh, that have contacted me with some really interesting sightings. So that was part of the talk I did and it went really well. People really loved it. So uh, I encourage you, if you had some kind of incredible UFO encounter, please do contact me and I will talk to you on the phone first and we'll go from there. So this week's blog is called A UFO Abduction in Japan. And by Charles Lear, his book is coming out and his book is out, I mean, and he'll be on next week with Philip Mantle uh, talking about his book and how we put that together. And it should be uh, another great show. That's the same time next week. And I think that is going to do it. I can't think of anything else other than I want to thank everyone out, out there that helps out with this show. I really do appreciate your support. Anyone could do that over at podcastufo.com and you'll see support the show. And for $2 or more a month, you can help out. And I do appreciate every single listener. So here comes our guest, Nathan. How are you, Nathan? Welcome. Good, Martin. Good to see you. Good to see you, too. So we have to address, get, get this out of the way. <laughs> uh, Nathan, it's just Nathan. And it's I asked for your last name. And a lot of times I've, I've turned many people down, but I've been told this guy's really good. Get him on the show. So here you are. Uh but is is it uh, it's it's a delicate situation at work or something like that? Uh, it is. Uh, you know, you did mention Prince and Madonna. I think today is Prince's birthday, so if I'm in that company, oh, there it I'll, is. I'll be, wow, I'll be okay. Uh, but uh, you know, it, it's an interesting topic of, of, uh, of you know discussion. I've I've thought about it. I've been um, on the fence for a while as far as to whether kind of come fully out and, and give my last name. I've got a lot of information about me that's available. So if someone really wants to know who I am, it's probably not that hard to, to find that out. Um, I think I, I kind of like to make it a little bit hard for people to find uh, just because it's um, in my experience with online communities, it's, you know, once you kind of put it out there, you can't get it back. So uh, for now True. I'm going to hold on to it and, and see how that yeah. goes. But uh, I, I do think it's, uh, it, you know, it, it takes a lot of courage, you know, to go, come forward and put your name out there, particularly those that, 
you know, are out there in the world, in corporate world, and have to kind of navigate uh, different client relationships and those kinds of things to be known as a, a UFO person, you know, that can be interesting. But as you pointed out before we got on the show, uh, more often than not, people have a story. And I think that that in a way gives them permission to open up to you. And I, I think you probably found that to be true in your own experience that once you you know, so sort of say and make room for the fact that you're into UFOs, you get all kinds of interesting stories, uh, not just about UFOs, but about uh, the paranormal and, and other strange things that happen to people. So uh, that could be a really good argument for me to just say, you know what, this is my thing. And if you've got a problem with it, let's talk about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I ha I did have a situation happen. And I think, um, you know, I, I had a, a an ex an extremely good job that would that uh, basically ended in someone called me later. And I've never, that's never happened to me before. Mm. Um, I'm in the antiques and fine arts and, and I'm pretty sure it's because I had this show on UFOs, you know, wow. and because I was uh, some uh, fellow worker called me like three or four months after. And he said, uh, just a little caution, caution here, you know, perhaps you ought to watch what you do in your private life. And I don't have any skeletons in the closet other than <laughs> UFOs. <laughs> so, so uh, that's all I could imagine it would be. Right. And, um, you know, he didn't say that's why I lost my job. But, mm. but anyway, oh, you know what I forgot to do is real quickly. I wanted to show that I was, I was at, uh, also stopped by Bill, who's the producer of KGRA radio. Oh, yes. <clears throat> I was at his house. Um, the other day when I was at Pine Bush and ta-da, here's Bill's studio wow. right here. That's that is a command scenes. center. That's a command center right there. Yeah. And you can see there's a drum set in the back and all that. So amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think today, if that happened, I do believe that there would be much less of a chance mm -hmm. that I would, you know, be terminated or whatever it was. Um, because of that type of situation, because I think the stigma is, uh, I don't know. Did you watch that UAP hearing any part of it? I did. Yes. So you heard the word stigma many times. That, I did. They're, they're reducing the stigma for the pilots. Right. And I think in general that that is going to happen. Right. And, and I, you know, I, I welcome that. I think it's a, a great thing. Completely agree. And I think we are entering a new time and, uh, the fact that we can talk about it in those places where we haven't talked about it for quite a long time. And the fact that so many people within our government and, uh, it, you know, not only in the government, but in popular culture are talking about it. So it's, it's not like this is just a crazy thing to, to be interested in. A lot of people are interested in this. So, you know, I think that that is a, it's a great point. Um, I'm hoping that more, more and more folks feel the courage to step forward and, you know, champion this subject where they can. And so I've, I've tried to do that through the places that I've found myself through the shows that I'm involved with and through social media uh, to try to make it a more comfortable place to have this conversation. Let's hear a little bit about your background and what got you interested in this topic. Sure. Yeah. So uh, I've been thinking about, I guess you could say non-human intelligence uh, my whole life. Um, I grew up in the South. I was a preacher's kid. Um, and so it wasn't uncommon for me to be thinking about these sort of ultimate questions uh, every day of the week for, you know, my entire young adult life and childhood, you know, so, um, you know, obviously engaging that through the lens of the Christian tradition. Uh, my father was a, a Christian minister 
so, you know, we kind of talked about and ha adopted the language of Christianity. Uh, and that was something that obviously became very important to me um, as I got older. And when I went off to, uh, to college and eventually graduated, I decided to go, go to seminary. I was going to pursue uh, a career in ministry. Um, and I finished that degree. I have a seminary degree. Uh, but uh, as I was kind of completing the degree, I, I basically came to a realization that that wasn't something for me, that uh, I no longer felt the same conviction uh, of those beliefs that uh, I did when I was younger and uh, and decided to kind of leave that that world and, and belief system behind. Uh, that said, you know, for me, the uh, sort of pursuit of religion, the analysis of our belief systems, those kinds of, uh, you know, sort of teachings and trainings have helped me to look at this particular topic uh, from an interesting perspective. I've never had a, a phenomenal experience. I've never had a UFO sighting. I've never had uh, anything particularly paranormal happen to me. Um, I've had some pretty vivid dreams that have impacted me, uh, but you know, a lot of folks have dreams, and so I try not to you know place too much importance on that. Although I do find it interesting that uh, many people have uh, really incredible, impactful dreams that often change the course of their lives, and that's something that's. Uh, and I think people might find to be a little bit, bit strange in a world where we tend to try to make decisions based on, you know, kind of logic and reason uh, to, to base your decisions on something that happens to you in a dream is, uh, you know, it seems a little bit weird, although I think it's probably more common than, than not. So um, that has been my experience with this topic kind of broadly. I've always been interested in uh, UFOs, science fiction. I'm a kid of the eighties, grew up with Star Trek, watching the next generation with my family. Absolutely loved everything about it. Loved Star Wars. I remember popping in the VHS tape and, yeah. you know, watching those Star Wars movies so many times we wore the tape out. Yeah. Uh, so it's just a part of, uh, you know, my, my interest in, in, in kind of our culture and, and, you know, the broader things that are happening with technology and, uh, in the, in the late 20th and 21st century. Wow. Wow. Interesting. You know, the, oh, it's funny. There's a, a gentleman, he is a friend, Paul Eno. He has yeah. uh, Paul and Ben Eno. They have that radio station. He went, he almost became, he, uh, I'm trying to remember what it was a reverend. I think he went, you know, he, he went all the way through the school mm. <laughs> and, wow. and he changed his mind too. And I think it has helped him. He has mentioned that it helps him, you know, look at these things. And I, you you made a very good point, and I'm I'm glad you you said what you did, and that is you still have an interest in this even though nothing has happened to you, and yeah. because a lot of people seem like they have to embellish their past mm. to become more significant that are you know that are out there, right? Uh, you know, uh, there's a couple of cases I could I could tell you about <laughs> that uh, <laughs> all of a sudden they have a sighting when they never did before that type of thing. Right. Um, and it's it's great. You know, Stanton Friedman never had a sighting. And, you know, he's one of the greatest uh, in our in our lifetime or in our time, I think, mm -hmm. of people Absolutely. that have looked into this topic. And so I, I think that's that's a great thing. And yeah. and uh, so what are some of the ways that your training ha have helped you? Is a lot of it the belief system? Is there something involved in that? Yes. Yeah, so I'll start back kind of with uh, the perspective of being a young person growing up watching a minister 
uh, you know, go about the business of ministry. I think that's really where I kind of caught this uh, analytical perspective when it comes to belief systems. So, you know, kind of seeing my dad go through the the, the kind of steps of managing a congregation, of of uh, taking text and and writing and preaching sermons and and pouring over these stories that mean a lot to a particular community, but giving those stories new meaning. You know, it really showed me that uh, you you can take almost any subject and you can you can really imbue it with a lot of meaning provided that you do it in certain ways and so uh i think i kind of caught that a little bit through osmosis uh just sort of observing what was going on and then as i got older and decided you know i really want to learn more about this religion thing i really want to understand it if i can just understand it more then I will somehow have a, I will come to this, you know, place of, of great realization. I'll be able to uh, change my life in really powerful ways. You know, so that, that becomes a a motivating factor for me to go into seminary. So in in seminary, what really kind of changed for me from a, going from a real believer to someone that was much more skeptical was learning a lot about the, the theologies of Christianity over time. Uh, and so one thing that you'll learn if you do any kind of study of, of religion is that at, over, over time, century by century, there are, there are individuals who will take religious texts and experience, and they will basically kind of an, analyze that and repackage it into a system that makes sense for those who live in, in the time that they find themselves. And this is the task of the, of the theologian. They're kind of a, in a way, they're kind of a scientist, right? They, they take the the, the data, the hard facts that exist in the religious tradition, yet they uh, work with that, they manipulate it, they study it, and then they they kind of create a new thing with it that that is a system that people can learn and use that gives them meaning and structure to their lives. So when I learned that there were many different theological perspectives that existed throughout history, uh, that there really wasn't one set in stone way to look at the text, it's at that point where I decided that, you know, this, this wasn't something that I could really firmly believe in, that it was so, it was so malleable that it just kind of lost it. It's, it's sort of solid meeting to me. Um, it's not that I had any kind of disdain for it though. So I, I did leave that behind, but I still really, uh, appreciate those people who give it, who, who find that it does give them meaning that, that it does, uh, you know, give them purpose. I, I really think that that that's amazing, and and I think we all basically have to find that thing in our lives that helps us to structure our our, our day to day. You know, we have a lot of different beliefs. Um, I know you've interviewed Dr. Anna Pasolka, and she's talked a lot about belief and religion. But really, if you think about the way that we all go about our day to day lives, we all carry with us a set of beliefs that that structure and and define not only who we are but how we engage with the world and it's that very same sort of concept that that you can take and apply to the study of ufos and the phenomenon you can look at what people are are experiencing and people are reading about in the literature uh you, you can you can see how they're taking that information and they're ordering it into a narrative, and that narrative, you know, can can take the shape of many different kinds of hypotheses. You know, so you can have people who uh, really land firmly on the extraterrestrial hypothesis, or 
interdimensional or time travel or, you know, there's so many different possibilities. Ultimately, at the end of the day, we have to sort of each wrestle with this set of information and and decide this is the story that makes the most sense for me. And then what am I going to do with it? And so, you know, for me, looking at this topic, because I haven't had an experience, and I really appreciate you, you know, kind of validating that, uh, you know, for me, it's not it's not what I can can point to and say, you know, there was a UFO that I saw or there was an experience that I had of, of an abduction or whatever it is. Instead, I can I can study the way in which these ideas impact people. And so I've always really been a, a kind of a student and a, a lover of, of people. Uh, and that probably, again, comes from my, my childhood growing up in a church and being surrounded by uh, people from so many different generations, uh, young, old, and in between, who became kind of an extended family. Um, anyone who's grown up in that uh, kind of culture, and I know in America, that's probably a lot of people who have at least some kind of experience with that, they know that, uh, you know, that that really takes on a, a really deep meaning for the way in which we understand who we are and the way in which we go about what we do. So in much the same way, you can look at UFO communities, you can look at how we interact with one another, um, the people that we look to as kind of the arbiters of of information, you know, we kind of have like a you know, you're, you'd be very familiar with this, Martin, kind of a priestly class, if you will, of UFO experts. You know, we kind of, we go back to them over and over and we say, what are they, what do they know and how, how do they know it? And I'm going to record that information in a book basically and, 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 and chronicle it. And if I, if I collect it all in the right way and apply the right analysis to it, then I'm going to find out the answer. This is exactly the same thing that happens in religious belief systems. So that there's a really strong corollary there, in my opinion. Right. Right. Yeah. That all makes so much sense to me. And, you know, there's there's a difference, in my opinion, that when someone says, do you believe in UFOs? That's not really the question. Hmm. The question is, what do you think UFOs are? Yes. Because UFOs are definitely here. There's so many unidentified things that people have never been able to explain. So you did. You went through the different things that they might be. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that I add to that list myself is something that we may not understand. Right. You know, that's another thing they they could be, mm -hmm. um, and or all uh, or all of the above. You know, they could be a mixture Absolutely. of all of the above. If you look at the sightings, you know, I if, if you just I, I I was at that pine bush that I was at this weekend. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, Cheryl Costa did this. She does this great work on statistics and it might be boring for a lot of people i like statistics i'd like to look at them and basically she said if we go down to one percent uh this was just the state of new york if we just say that uh first of all like 30 30 percent of them have not been explainable all mm -hmm. the sightings that's kind of high right. um for the most part uh, a lot of times it's like 10 or, you know, 12 or something like that. So if it goes down, she said, even if it goes down to um, 1% mm -hmm. per year, that's still 7%. There's, that's still seven sightings a month in just the state of New York. Right. Now, the state of New York is big, <laughs> but you take that and multiply it, you know, landwise all the way around the world, never mind the ocean, which covers 73% of the earth. You know, you, you wonder how many... And that also something not taken in to uh, 
in fact, in factoring this in is that's all the sightings that are reported. Mm. Um, you know, a lot of times when I've been in different conferences and things like that, the, one of the questions that comes up, okay, how many people out here have had a UFO sighting? And when you're going to a UFO conference, it's going to be pretty heavy. <laughs> a lot of them. <laughs> yes. And so a lot of hands go up in the room and they, okay, how many people here reported your UFO sighting? And there are just a few hands go up mm. and I'm guilty of that. I had a sighting in 2007. I didn't report it at the time. I didn't know how to report it. I had no idea there was anything online. Right. I, I called the police department at the time because I just had no idea what to do. I understand I could still report that at this time. <laughs> That's right. But now it's so sketchy as far as I don't remember. I can't even remember the month mm -hmm. that was, you know, I'd be guessing. Right. So, so anyway. Yeah, we, we just interviewed on our show. Uh, so I'm a co-host on two shows. One is called Calling All Beings, and it's a it's a panel show, and we do interviews. We just had uh, a couple of gentlemen from the recent documentary called A Terror in the Sky. Oh, yes. Uh, Carolyn Corey's documentary. Uh, and um, the, the two gentlemen were David Altman and, and David Mason. David Mason is the yes. inventor who kind of created some of that uh, surveillance uh, equipment. Right. And, uh, you know, what was really interesting from that conversation is is kind of the, the speculation that really this is happening everywhere, that it's just that we don't have the kind of instrumentation to 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 see it. And we're starting to get more of that instrumentation in place in various places across the world. Uh, and, and that's pretty interesting. If you take the fact that they were just out there for basically a week with right. their equipment, you know, looking toward the Catalina Islands and just seeing what yeah. they, they could see. And they saw more than one anomalous, uh, interesting thing happen uh, with their equipment. So to me, that that says that this kind of thing is is happening everywhere. Uh, you know, maybe that is probably one of the uh, disturbing qualities of it, that if we talk about uh, the issue of disclosure, that could be one of the reasons why we don't have full disclosure is that it's it's literally happening everywhere all the time. Uh, those of uh, folks who are in the community who identify with being experiencers often will, will tell you that these interac can, interactions can happen whether you want them to or not. They're just going to appear uh, wherever you may find yourself, uh, even in some of the, your most sacred spaces in your bedroom. You know, they, they, this can just appear. And so to me, that that's something that we have to wrestle with if that is the truth, if that is the reality, uh, that's something that we all have to deal with. And how does that impact our day-to-day our -day life, our, our, the way in which we go about you know, doing what we do and interact with each other? Uh, you know, I think that the floodgates are really going to open quite a bit the more that this stigma does uh, decrease. Um, you're going to, and, I, and so I, and for that reason, I think of disclosure as really a, it, it's a recursive process. So you, you can think of it like this, that uh, as the government uh, kind of puts forward a little bit more of a normalized uh, aspect of the phenomenon, you know, UFOs are real, they're in the skies, whatever, then the public responds to that uh, fact by, by saying, yes, I have had an experience that's just like that, or I know someone who's had an experience just like that. That then kind of adds to the pile of momentum. The government then can respond to that uh, interaction with, okay, this is what they look like, or this is how they behave. Others then say, well, yes, I know that, that, that that's true because I have had an experience in the same way. So you can see that through this, it's almost think of it as a dialogue, you know, that there is this kind of dialogue that needs to take place 
in a very public manner for this reality to be pervasive throughout the world. It's not something where you can, as much as we might want it to, really just kind of print a one pager and hand it out to everybody in, in the globe and say, here are the facts, you know, kind of deal with it. I think it is much more healthy to do this in a fashion that is, uh, you know, relational, that, that it does honor the, the facts, but also is, is listening in response to the facts that are put forward. Because if we don't go through those stages of, of really communication, listening, understanding, I think that there's a, a, too much, in my opinion at least, for a traumatic event to occur for a lot of people. You don't give folks time to process what is really taking place. And we all need time to process something that is this significant in, in terms of how it impacts our worldview. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the things that I've said a number of times, you know, as doing the show while doing the show is, you know, if 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 for some reason the some part of the government actually knows what is going on and hasn't said anything, they would have a lot of explaining to do. Mm. And that, you know, that the reason for withholding it if that is the case i'm not saying that's the case i have no idea right but if that is the case uh it would be because they would have no way to protect us or you know have no control over what's coming into our skies so that would be you know could be a scary thing for a lot of people right whether there there's nothing has happened as of yet or not but uh someone uh jay allen thank you for putting this in caps here's a question from the chat room uh, given the phenomenology discussion, does Nathan have a comment on the hitchhiker phenomenon experienced by intel agents, military, and scientists at Skinwalker Ranch? Absolutely. So, and, and this is, I think, going to take us uh, toward kind of the, the consciousness uh, connection or conversation, which is, I think, quite popular now uh, in this in this topic. So, uh, my, my my take on that is that uh, consciousness is is the sort of fundamental quality of reality. That that the things that we think of as as matter, uh, m the material that we're all used to, that is a, a an epiphenomenon of consciousness. Uh, if that is the case, and, and I know you had a show with um, Dr. Bob Davis and Dave Beatty where they talked about this quite quite a bit, uh, so I point your listeners to that that show, which I think was was re really quite well done. Uh, if that is the case, then the the way in which our our experiences overlap is is sort of is sort of a way that we cannot necessarily directly perceive. So consciousness, think of it as uh, think of it as water, you know, the ocean. You know, so if we're all part of the ocean, we manifest in our individual selves as uh, as ripples in the water, or you can think of us as kind of individuated whirlpools in the water. You can't take the whirlpool or the ripple out of the water, but you can see it. It has boundary. It has dead definition. It has, it has quality. And so what's happening with this uh, sort of hitchhiker event or effect is that these individual conscious uh, agents, you know, the, these folks who went to Skinwalker Ranch, for example, uh, their consciousness is essentially kind of, it, it, it's coming into contact with other conscious agents that exist in, in reality, but may not be perceived in the reality that, that we know as material reality. As, the, as those conscious agents kind of overlap, uh, you know, sort of qualities and characteristics uh, of each of those agents sort of in, in, intermingle or entwine or 
you can think of it as entanglement in a way uh, to use a kind of to borrow a, a quantum uh, term, ter terminology there. And so that human conscious agent has now been exposed, has been uh, in intermingled with a non-human conscious agent. And that in impacts that human in ways that manifest itself as, uh, you know, sort of the vi visions that, that you hear about, the poltergeist activity and, and so forth. And so it's, um, I don't particularly like the kind of the virology or the, or the, or the contamination uh, sort of lingo that, that, that is used to describe it. I think of it more or less as uh, these are moments in which individuated consciousness, human consciousness is coming into contact with non-human consciousness and is thus changed in the process. Hmm. Wow. Interesting. Um, well, as far as it's still hard for me to understand the consciousness connection. I know, I know you, you did, you did a fairly good job, <laughs> but, uh, but it's still hard for me to really understand how that has the connection between people seeing UFOs. Um, also when it comes to, you know, if it's something that's manifested um, from the individual somehow, then what about um, mass sightings where there's hundreds of witnesses? You know, how does how does that all work when it comes to this type of thing? Sure. So we are all part of that uh, consciousness substrate. You know, so we all, even though you know you are Martin, I am Nathan, we emerge out of that base layer where we, that we all share. Uh, and so th I think there are a couple of on ramps to the, this, uh, the way of th thinking about this. So I'll give one analogy. I'm going to steal it from, uh, someone that I think if, if people are interested in this and learning more about consciousness and, uh, you know, the way that it works as a met metaphysical concept, I would point them to a man named Dr. Bernardo Castrop. Um, so Dr. Castrop is not a ufologist. He's not, you know, really focusing on this subject, but he is, uh, what he calls an analytic idealist. And, and so you can, you have two sort of models of reality. You have materialism and you have idealism. So he's an idealist, which again, believes that consciousness is at the, the base layer of reality. So what the analogy that he uses, what I think is quite useful is the analogy of flying an airplane. All right. So you can fly an airplane uh, really by just looking at the dashboard of dials in front of you. You don't have to see the air around you, the sky, if you, if your instrumentation is good, you can literally fly the airplane through the atmosphere. And they, they teach pilots how to do this because there are moments where they have very low visibility and they have to trust their instrumentation. Right. So just like that is the case, our, our perceptions, so all of our sensory perception, our, our taste, our, our touch, our sight, hearing, all of the, these things, they, they compromise and, 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 uh, and constitute the dashboard. They are the dashboard. They are the way in which we interact with the world. We don't have direct sight, though, to the world as it really is. And th this is this is not something that's really hard to get your mind around because we all understand this from just a base scientific level. We know that the light spectrum that you that we see the the human range of of light that we can actually perceive is very very small in the large band that that exists, and we know yes. that. Mm -hmm. uh, insects and other animals and, you know, our household pets, you know, they, they perceive reality in, in different spectrums than we do. And so what base reality actually looks like 
is all filtered through the perceptions that each of us have. So there's human perception and animal perception and you know insect perception. All of those have different filters on what is actually happening at, at that base reality level. Uh, so if you think of it from that perspective, there's quite a lot that can be taking place uh, beyond our ability to perceive it. And, and just like we talked about with a tear in the sky and David Mason and his, and his inventions, you know, he has inventions that now allow him to see sort of aspects of uh, things that happen in the, in the light spectrum that we can't see, but he can put it on a screen. So just as that, that is taking place, there, there's phenomenology happening all around us that we cannot directly perceive. When mass sightings happen, it's just that in those moments, whatever is happening at the layer that we cannot perceive, it, 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 it basically pops into the layer in which we can. And so it, it, come, it emerges out of that lower layer into a layer in which we all happen to be able to interact with. Um, and so we, with consciousness, you know, kind of coming back, back to that specifically, you know, we all can tap into that because we are all part of that. And this consciousness helps explain the, the way in which psi phenomenology works, the way in which, uh, example, like NDEs and OBEs and past life experience, uh, remote viewing, all of that is connected via consciousness. And so if you think of it from that perspective, everything that we experience, everything that takes place in our ability to perceive is all happening at a at a level that is emerging from a consciousness layer. Um, and, you know, it, it is a difficult concept because it's not the way in which we are taught. You know, we're all born into a materialist world from the very moment we enter the, you know, the, our, our lives. We are taught that this is how things work and this is how things are ordered and our science is, or is structured around this as well. So it's, it's a very difficult way to sort of think about it. But more and more, our, our quantum physics, our neuroscience is pointing toward the fact that consciousness is not an emergent property of matter. It's not an emergent property of our brain activity. It's something that happens at a, at a lower level than that. Interesting analogies <laughs> and all that. I, you know, uh, that, that is, uh, yeah, I mean... I really, you know, I, I really don't know, uh, you know, I'm trying to think of what type of questions for one thing. Does this mean that if uh, you happen to be outside and you see a Bigfoot or you see a ghost or you see a UFO fly overhead, that it's possible, even if other people see it, that that's not what really is happening? Well, it, it is a representation of something else, right? So there, it's not that it's not happening, but what Bigfoot really is, it depends on your, your perspective, right? So, uh, for example, you and I are made of, you know, atoms and molecules. And if we go further and further down from that, we are smaller and smaller, you know, sort of particles, qu quantum particles. So it's a matter of perspective. Who is Martin? You know, who is Nathan? These are things that from our level of perception are constituent holes. So you have a clearly defined, you know, boundary of who Martin is, as do I. But from other vantage points in reality, you don't maintain that that same level of uh, sort of um, cohesiveness. You don't have that same Martinness if you look at Martin from the vantage point of a microbe. Uh, you know, there is no Martin at that level of, of awareness, you know, so it, the Bigfoot 
uh, you know, it's it's exactly the same. It's it's yes to you and I. It is a Bigfoot entity. What is it though? At a root level, we don't know. Uh, another good example of this, if I can point your listeners to it, is uh, Dr. Donald Hoffman. He's done a lot of work on. Uh, he has a book called The Case Against Reality. Um, and the analogy that he uses is one of a computer screen. And so he basically says, you know, we're all familiar with a desktop interface. We have icons on our computer screen. We have the trash bin on our computer screen. If we drag a file into the trash bin, we know that in the computer, that's our way of, of throwing away or discarding or deleting that file. But we also know that's not literally a trash bin. It's not literally a trash can. It is represent is a representation of, of code that, that is in the system but it's something that we can interact with. You and I wouldn't, I'm not a coder, I don't, I, I, you probably aren't either, Martin, but you know, you and I can interact with the software that powers our machines. That's why we have these icons that we have created so that we can work with these very complex systems that are based on this, this kind of code. And his argument is that evolutionarily, humans are exactly the same. We have evolved in order to see the world from a from the vantage point of, of of how how we survive in that environment we don't need to see the world as it really is we only need to see the world how it helps us to to survive so it, it's an interesting it's a kind of a mind-bending way of thinking about uh, things but it really is i think something that is uh going to be a part of the, this conversation because it does tie into all of the various phenomenology that we that we are talking about from from the paranormal to ufos uh, to NDE, OBE, past life experience, to psi phenomenon, it, it all really does connect through this particular metaphysical model. Now, you mentioned the spectrum. We, we see a small amount of the spectrum. Um, and I wonder also, like, what could, you know, what, is it possible there's a lot going around us, on around us, that we're just, totally unaware of in, in a way you know we get more equipment there's more the military has more equipment in, in different parts of the wavelengths that they can uh, you know report on uh, get data on stuff like that so I'm just wondering if there's like a lot going are we going to be able to find more of what's going on around us all the time that we can't see now you know in the future technology is that do you think it's going to head that way? I, I absolutely think, think so. I think that life is abundant in the universe. I think that uh, if you look at uh, things like take what Louis Elizondo himself has said, he's talked about uh, for a very long time, we didn't know that there was an entire kingdom that existed in, in on, you know, on the earth. And that, that's the kingdom of uh, the microbiome. And uh you know, all of a sudden we discovered that, you know, here it is and it, it's, it's everywhere. It's, it's literally everywhere. It's inside of us. It's, it, it's, there are a few places on earth where you can go and not find uh, the, you know, microbes. And so I think in the same way as our understanding advances, uh, we're, we're going to find that intelligent life is literally everywhere in the cosmos, that it's, uh, it takes many different forms that we're interacting with a lot of different phenomenon that, you know, just the way that we perceive it has been pretty limited. And as, as you said, as our ability to, uh, to analyze it, to uh, take in more data of what, what's happening, it's just allowed us to kind of open up the aperture of our perception to see more of what has been there all along. 
And so, yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. And then what, and then what follows from that understanding, right? So that really is the, are the questions that I'm interested in is that once we come to this place that we can agree that that is the reality, you know, that, that there are ETs and interdimensionals and everything in between, you know, what does that mean for, for us as, as human beings? You know, how, how do we go about our lives? How do we interact? How do we advance our science? Um, it, it's really going to impact every single facet of our culture and civilization. I think we're, we're on kind of the cusp of a sea change there and a dramatic paradigm shift that it's going to take place once this becomes commonly accepted. Right. Right. Um, there's a question that came up. Um, can you address the concern that some have saying that, and I've heard this all along, you know, we can't have disclosure because it would destroy our religious traditions. Yeah. Well, I would argue that uh, as, as our culture changes over time, we constantly reinvent our religious tradition. Um, I don't yes. think, I don't think mm -hmm. people perceive it because they're born into it. And, and as you're born into something, you think that that's just the way it's always been. Uh, the, the beliefs that I've been given are the way they've always been, but the reality is they have changed uh, through every generation that, that the uh, kind of doctrine that your religious tradition has adopted uh, you know, is, is very dynamic and, and changes based on culture and time, uh, personal experience. Uh, you can, and I can, I can point to the many different denominations of the world religions as proof of this, you know, that there's so many different interpretations of, of kind of the, the core texts or the core stories of each tradition that I think there's ample room for a reinvention of religious, you know, belief in light of, in the face of new information. I think that uh, it really just then comes down to whether or not you, you, you want to, you know, whether or not you think that that narrative still holds some sort of power or importance for you. And, and for some that it will, for some that it will make a lot of sense to, uh, to adopt that tradition and language and it'll help them make, make sense of this new reality. And for some, it won't, for some, it'll fall really short of, helping and and they'll you know kind of toss it in the waste bin and move on and adopt some, something else and we'll see i think some new religious uh sort of traditions emerge from this reality as well Do and dr diana pasolka has talked about that in her book american cosmic that this is we're kind of witnessing in a way the birth of some new religious perspectives and beliefs that aren't like what we've seen in the past right well um you know the there's a uh... The Catholic Church has really changed their stance a lot. I've seen this over the years where, and I thought one of them was, well, I should never say when it comes to something like this that it was kind of funny, but um, it was interesting, I'll put it that way, that I believe the Pope, I think it was maybe five years ago, uh, said that uh, we we can certainly baptize them if they come here and they're friendly. Mm, yeah. Uh, you know, that... Uh, at least they're they're open to, you know, like it's not, it could be more than just earth. And I, I really, I think it would be silly today to think that we're the only kids on the block, you know, right. here. Um, I, I, I think a life, a life is, is hardy and it wants to be here 
with all the elements that we have that support it. And I think any place that can support life, I think life will, will be there. Right. So I hardly agree. Yeah. And, you know, and it's very, if you look at all, every species on earth were uh, symmetrical, you know, we have two eyes, two ears, you know, uh, for the most part, we're, we're all the same. There's uh, quadruped and bipedal and, you know, all that, but it's all symmetrical. And that might be something that happens and happens everywhere, or maybe not. Uh, there's all these things, you know, gravity could change something, uh, the rotation of two stars and a, you know, and a binary system could change things. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's all uh, air, oxygen, you know, whatever it is. Sure. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I think it, it could take all kinds of forms. And, uh, you know, I, the romantic in me is really excited to see what forms it may take. Uh, you know, so I, I do, I love the ET, ET hypothesis because it is the most familiar in many ways. It's the most uh, easily adoptable. You know, there, there are life forms that exist on other planets, just like we exist on this one. They're intelligent, just like we are. They're more advanced. Let's learn from them. Let's have an exchange. Let's let's have a relationship with who they are and what what kind of knowledge they can bring to the table. That that's really, you know, a very alluring pic- picture to this whole story. And I hope that that I hope that that is true. I hope that that is one of the facets of what is going on here. It, it, to me, it, it's exciting to think about being part of a larger, you know, kind of galactic uh, cosmic family of intelligent life uh, and being just one among many different species where life has taken hold and, and found ways to uh, to mature and, and express itself. I think that would be an incredible gift to us as humanity to be able to have those kinds of interactions, assuming that they aren't here to uh, destroy us, of course. Yeah, yeah we don't look like food to them. <laughs> we don't want that, yeah. Yeah, or, or all our, you know, I mean, our resources right. also, you know, That's I mean, right. like, oh, uh, hey, water and, uh, you know, uh, oxygen. Let's suck all that out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, here, here's a, a clip I just want to run. I, I thought it was an interesting thing. This is part of the aerial phenomenon uh, trailer, mm. uh, and hopefully this will work right. I'm going to try it now. Let's see. Uh, here we go. Here. Angels, yes. Extraterrestrials, no. John. Just that one line. <laughs> <laughs> that was about Doctor Mac. Yes. And it was Alan uh, Dershowitz, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. That's um, exactly what it was. Yeah. So, yeah, that, like, you know, theology, it's it's OK in a school yes. like Harvard. And and it's, you know, believing in something that there's there's no real evidence for. Right. You know, people say, well, the Bible or whatever. But, you know, the Bible is a, it was written by people. You know, right. I mean. I think, <laughs> as far as I know. <laughs> well, exactly. I mean, that's it's an excellent point because I think we we're so close to our traditions that we often can't see them. You know, so the the Bible is something that's just part of the fabric of Western culture. Uh, you know, those who believe in that story, they're they're really close to it, and they don't can't they can't really take a step back and kind of see it as something that is. Uh, just another text from a, from a, a compilation of lots of different experiences that is trying to tell a certain story about humanity. Uh, and I think once you take a step back and look at it from that vantage point, you can easily see that it is just a set of of, of beliefs and convictions that pe- that just a lot of people had to adopt. 
you know, so that makes it a lot more comfortable to, to, Mm. to engage with, you know, because very interesting point, right? I mean, it's the fabric of our, you know, you don't have to, you don't seem like a weirdo if you observe, you know, Christmas because everybody in, you know, the U S or whatever, they all observe Christmas or many, many do. So it, 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 it becomes, I think to me, it reinforces this idea that the things in which we all hold in common or, or the ways in which we hold beliefs in common really do in fact shape the realities that we find ourselves. So it is in many ways, our, our beliefs, our, our, our ways of thinking, our mental activity that guide and shape everything around us from, from how things are supposed to work, how we are supposed to interact the things we're supposed to observe, who we're supposed to be with, you know, what we're supposed to name our children, what we're, you know, all of these things are impacted by our set of commonly shared beliefs. And it just so happens that UFOs, uh, because they're just not as widely, uh, you know, part of the le- lexicon that they become weird and fringe and, you know, something that you should be, that, that, that should be shunned. I, I just had something, it's sort of related to this, but I, I just thought it was, uh, quite a statement. Um, a friend of mine was telling me about a relative that absolutely does not believe in God, but goes to church every single Sunday, hedging her bet to make sure that she's just in case she might be wrong, she still gets into heaven. Right. How do you like that one? Yeah, I mean that's uh, <laughs> I've heard that before, um, certainly from uh, some seminarians as well. Um, you know, I, I get that. I get that, uh, you know, way of approaching it that you want to just sort of have all your bases covered. But if you're really going to go that route, you're going to have to go to a lot of different services from a lot of different religious traditions. Um, That's right. At the end of the day, you may believe nothing at all and everything all at the same time. So it's it's kind of difficult, I think, to uh, to live your life that way. But uh, I, I understand it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. It would be very difficult to put effort into something you don't believe in just because you think it may serve you somehow. Right. Yeah. Here's another question from Jay Allen. Um, Interesting question is what if aliens have their own religion? Would we treat that scenario as well as we have in the past, the Crusades? (laughs) Do you think they would force it on us? Well, you know, that would, my own opinion, that would have to be if there's a dominating being, you know, someone that would, you know, intelligence always seems to, does always seems to take, take over. Uh, you know, in, in the past. Uh, right. So, you know, anything stronger or more intelligent, it's, right. it's a possibility. I, I yeah, I, I agree. And I think that's a great, it raises a great point, not just about whether or not they have a religious belief system, but about any knowledge they may provide us or share with us just generally, you know, so what, what is it that we can take as uh, on face value? What is it that we, we can trust? Uh, what should we be adopting? What should we not be adopting? Uh, you know, I think a lot of people approach uh, the topic of aliens and UFOs in, in kind of the way in which uh, it's like a, re- a revelatory moment, right? There will be this moment in time where the aliens will arrive, they'll, they'll impart their knowledge on humanity, all of our questions will be answered, our cancers will be cured, life becomes great, and, and we just m- move on. I think the reality is going to be far different, that whatever they provide us, whatever information they give us, it only opens to us new questions, new sets of questions and unknowns that we have to wrestle with. And, uh, you know, I, for one, am not necessarily ready to take anything, uh, an intelligent species that is not human uh, at face value. I would need a lot of, I think, uh, you know, sort of 
evidence and trust in that relationship for me to feel like I could say, okay, I, I, I really believe you now and what, what you're t telling me, you know, if you've proven it to me, then I can believe it. Otherwise, I, I think we should be a little bit skeptical about that. I wouldn't, you know, we, we may not even know right, the right questions to ask if exactly. we had that opportunity, you know, it, it would, you know, of course the, like, why, why are we here type of thing that, you know, those type of questions, whether right. a higher intelligence would even know that or not is another question. It may be of no concern to that intelligence, that That's right. question. Uh, what if they have no culture at all? You know, what, or what if their culture looks nothing like ours? So they have, what if they have no art, no music? I mean, these are things right. that I think about and I think Me are too. kind of depressing, right? Yeah. I have wondered, you know, I have wondered myself what, would be the equivalent of the first car or what would be, uh, right. what would be music? Um, you know, music seems like it's uh, almost like a, it could be a universal thing, mm -hmm. you know, uh, so. but, but maybe not. That's again, thinking in human terms, they're, right. they're thinking maybe absolutely mechanically different from ours and music would play no part of it, which is right. actually sad when you think about it. <laughs> Completely. Uh, yeah. What if they are, you know, thousands or millions of years ahead of us from a civilizational standpoint, and they basically evolved out of all of that, you know, how would we evaluate it? You know, what would we, what would we think about that? Well, did you yeah. regret that your civilization gave up, you know, sort of music and, and culture in that way, uh, you know, a million years ago? Would you wish that you still had that? You know, what kind of, and I think that that raises the question that I, I find interesting as well. And that is, I often talk about disclosure in terms of what it means for us as human beings, but I, I think of it too in terms of what it means for them. You know, so mm. if, if we do come into a greater awareness uh, and engagement with whatever this phenomena happens to be in, in all of its different forms, you know, they then have to deal with us in a, in a much more direct way than they have before. If, if in fact, there mm. is a type of relation that is taking place there, a relationship that is occurring. Um, and what will that look like? Will they be really frustrated? You know, well, just like if you have small children and they don't know what they're doing and they get into the kitchen and they make a total mess, it, you know, you're really frustrated as a parent that that happened. Are they going to be really frustrated with us if we, you know, learn something new and we just don't know how to work, work it out and we make a total mess of the, you know, alien technology? I mean, these are all things that I think we don't think about that often, but the, the reality post the disclosure is, one that is inclusive of our existence as a civilization and theirs and how they really do interact with one another. Um, yes. And here's, here's a comment here, more meandering conjecture. Yes. That's what we're doing. <laughs> um, I think it's fascinating to do that. Uh, Welcome to the show. You know, I mean, we're, we're not, we're definitely, we're not going to sit here and tell you uh, we know what the nuts and bolts of UFOs are. We know what, what is visiting our skies, uh, what people are seeing. We have absolutely, if either one of us says that, then change the channel. Yeah, agree. <laughs> so that's that's what it, unfortunately, this is what you get. And uh, you get uh, really interesting stories of things that have happened to people. Right. And I'm also throw this out. Do you have, is there um, a particular case in the UFO world that you find more fascinating than others? That's a great question. So I, I, I kind of waffle on the well-known cases, but also the ones that I have heard more firsthand. 
Um, and I find it interesting, you know, kind of how the community does this as well, you know, so it, the more that a case has been written about, the more that it becomes, you know, kind of canonical, important part of the, the lore, you know, and, and the ones that you don't hear often about the ones that, you know, your friend or your neighbor or yourself have experienced, you know, they're, they're just not given that much attention. So if I were to give one that I'm interested in, as far as the, you know, kind of the broad, UFO lore. Uh, I, I think of uh, Fatima, which is an interesting, uh, you know, situation, a mass sighting, uh, arguably of a UFO, uh, and also of, of a being that appeared to the, those children. Um, and then the, uh, I think all of the, the the schoolyard cases are fascinating. So the aerial one, the uh, the wet West Hall one, and the, there are others as well. I think that uh, you know kids because of the way in which they have not yet been, you know, kind of fully told the ways in which the world works and the ways things should be and the, what, what, what they should be seeing and not be seeing. I think they're actually better observers of what is actually happening. So I, I find that their accounts to be a lot more credible, particularly if there are several of them. So that, I would say that those are examples of things that I'm interested in, you know, from a, a literature standpoint, the, the popular ones. And then there are those that have been shared with me, uh, that are, you know, quite very, you know, very, very personal and, imp and impactful, you know, people who've had direct encounters with, you know, giant orbs or, you know, beings that have essentially harassed them or a craft that have been a stone's throw away, uh, you know, from them that they could make out, you know, very clear outline and characteristics. I mean, those are incredibly compelling stories from people who I find to be, uh, you know, very reputable people, people that would be your neighbor, you know, that, that, that you would trust. You know, um, you know, the way you, you, you just brought that up, I, I think I'm going to give us a, a little treat here. It's about eight minutes long. I'm trying to pull it up right now. And uh, I had a woman named Deb Coyle on my show. She may be listening tonight. Uh, she does listen to the show. Uh, this was a a recording that she did with me, um, and this was prior. She did come on my show and talked live on my show, but I'd like to share this video of a recording she did with me. I believe it's about eight minutes long, and it's 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 fascinating. A schoolyard. If anyone hasn't seen, didn't see her live on the show, this is her original um, her original talk that she did with me um, back. Let me see if I can pull it up right back before I had her on on this show. And I'm this this happened in in South Africa. Here I am just trying to trying to pull it up. Maybe I put it over here. Let's see. Um, I, I have it ready to go. So it's just a way of finding it. So let me figure out how to do that. Um, Okay, sure. Uh, and, you know, Randall Nickerson's movie is out there, Aerial Phenomenon. Um, I'm getting I'm getting email every week. I had such great email recently from people that have watched that. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of people are complaining of the price, $20 to watch it, and it's a rental. But I'll tell you, the people that are emailing me have said, Worth every penny. I feel like paying more. It was such an incredible movie. Agree. Everybody, did you see it? And the passion that Randall Nickerson has put into that, 
yes. uh, over the many, many years. I mean, $20 is nothing <laughs> for I know. the time and energy that he put into that production. So 13 and a half years. Okay, here is uh, Deb Coyle. This is the original that she recorded with me. First time seen. Here we go. My the experience I had happened over my elementary school in the town of Benoni in South Africa, um, which is where I grew up. Um, I want to say it probably happened somewhere between. I was I was trying to figure this out because I don't remember the exact year. Somewhere between 1975 and 1977. Mm -hmm. um, so at that time, I would have been between eight and 10 years old. I remember standing on the corridor, facing out towards the main playground. Um, there was a teacher on playground duty. I still remember who that teacher was. And it's the strangest thing. And, and people who have had encounters, and I'm not sure if you experienced this when you had your encounter, but people will talk about experiencing things in a certain way. So there was, it was like it wasn't there and all of a sudden there it was. Hmm. It just sort of, it just, you know, entered stage right or whatever. It seemed quite low, but again, so, I was a little kid. And it's almost like you just, like you had a, a forewarning or you were just somehow made aware because I was aware of like, of looking up at this thing. Typical UFO saucer shape. The color red stands mm. out in my memory. And I'm pretty sure that's part of the original encounter and not a fabrication of my memory over time because I do remember asking, I do remember my dad asking me to sketch it for him more than once. And I'm, I do remember like red, the color red just sticks in my memory. Hmm. You know, when something heats up, like when you see iron heated up and it changes color and the color seems hmm. to be like throughout that piece of metal, the red seemed to be through. Oh, like a glow, almost like a glowing. Almost like a glow from the inside out. Mm -hmm. um, and at that point I remember, and I don't remember feeling scared, I was just going to ask you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's also that thing where people, I will hear this over and over again, and I'll go, yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I remember. The absence of sound. Right. Almost as if you were, for a moment, we were in this vacuum. We were in a bubble. Oh. And there was oh, no absolutely at all. no sound. No sound. We were just like, there was a complete absence of sound. Wow. Um, and... I remember looking out across the playground and seeing the teacher and the other kids all looking up at it. Mm. And everything seemed to sort of be in, not in slow motion. It's almost like time was frozen, really. Uh, so fear was not a feeling. Do you remember other feelings? Not at all. If anything, it was just like, a feeling of awe mm. mm -hmm. and because it, it was such a 
quick thing. Like it almost seemed it just stopped and was there for a split second, or at least it seemed like it was there for a split second. And then it just, it exited, it was gone. And I remember thinking, wow, fast, that was fast. And even at that age, I knew that that was incredible and just like nothing that my brain could make sense of because, um, and I'd said this to you in the email, in the time it takes to blink, it was this tiny little red pinprick on the horizon, this mm. pinpoint, and then it was gone. And then all the sound came back. Huh. And I saw the teacher and the kids sort of talking to each other. And maybe they were saying, oh, I wonder what that was, you know. But again, because I was a very, I was, I was not the kind of kid who would go running up to a teacher and say, what was that? Oh. Um, and really spend time with my peers, I sort of hung back and just watched everybody's reaction. And then that was that. And it, I guess at some point I must have told my dad, maybe it was the same afternoon that I went home and said, I saw something strange. I really doubt I would have said UFO because I didn't know what a UFO was. We didn't right. have TV in South Africa until 1976. <laughs> so, yeah. um, and then it was only on for an hour or two a day and the rest of the time it was the test pattern ah. so there wouldn't have been any opportunity to really know what any of that was I never read any material about UFOs I, there was nothing that was part of my experience so uh I've always thought about it and when you're a child, life goes on. Yeah. And you sort of put it in the back of your mind. And I'm not sure when I told my husband, it was probably not long after we were married. And we've been married for 32 years. So, <laughs> <laughs> so he's known about it for a long time. And, but I've always, I've, you know, you know that there's a stigma attached to it. Um, until recently, I was a tutor in our public schools in the town I live in. So you don't, you're not going to mention it to people because right. there's a stigma attached to it. Um, my children know, and they've never doubted me for a second. And my husband will say to me, because sometimes I'll talk his ear off about UFOs and about all the latest information that's coming out and I get very, very excited about, you know, certain cases or I'll say, that's exactly what, you know, that specific part of their experience, that's what I experienced. And he'll, he's so patient and he'll just go, yep. And I'll say, <laughs> I know you, I know this just doesn't excite you the way it excites me. And he'll say, you know what, Deb, at the end of the day, I still got a, a job to go to a mortgage to pay. So yeah, it doesn't really have an impact on my day to day. I, I can't give it as much room, space in my head as you do. And I always say to him, but if you ever have an experience that will, that'll change, that'll change. Mm. Mm -hmm. uh, you can't help it. It's just part of, you know, you know what you experienced and nobody can talk you out of it. And I always right. think of, is it James Fox's one documentary, I Know What I Saw? Right. 
And those words are so true. I know yeah. what I saw. You know. That's great, isn't it? Amazing. Love it. Uh, that's that's what you call a credible witness. And totally. Real nice, real nice woman. And uh, yeah, I mean, that was such a great account directly. That's that's when I said earlier in the show, you know, people that listen to the show, there's a percentage of people that listen to the show that had something incredible happen. And uh, I want to talk to more of them. Absolutely. <laughs> because, uh, you know, you hear about all these sightings, but you, you, no one's ever heard of that one. I think those type of sightings are very interesting. They are to right. me. Well, and it, it raises the question, too, of once this becomes a topic that we can comfortably talk about in all corners of our culture, you know, how do we incorporate these stories into our, into our understanding, you know, so we have these government bodies now that are trying to collate and analyze, you know, these, these incidents, these events that have occurred in military training areas. And so, you know, they're, they're doing that work and they're even looking at physiological impacts on, on our, uh, on our service people. But once that information is comfortably a part of our everyday conversation well then where do these stories fit into that as well right so you then have to find a way to bring these things to the table to analyze them uh, to try to make sense of them so that we can have a better picture of what is going on i'm encouraged by the fact that so many people have had these stories because i really do think that's going to make the acceptance and our path to understanding a little bit easier um, you know, there might be a lot of sort of jockeying for control of the narrative there. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I could see that happening, uh, because we all know that governments do like to, uh, put their own kind of spin on things. Um, but, uh, I'm hoping that because it is such a, you know, distributed, uh, phenomenon, at least seemingly that it'll be difficult for them to, you know, kind of tell everyone it is X when so many people have had, you know, their own very personal experiences. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we saw in the, in the hearing, basically there was a lot of surprises more or less of things that, you know, they were unaware of, you know, mm -hmm. and yeah. when it came to, to me, you know, uh, of course this is a historic case, but Maelstrom air, airbase when the nuclear warheads were shut down you know i mean to me them not knowing that i think is uh you know it was kind of surprising yeah uh, because that is if that's not national security then what is you right. know a threat to national security yeah so yeah uh, and, I, and to claim that there was no any sort of official report you know there clearly were reports uh, and yeah. there's mountains of official government documentation with many, many reports and incidents that should be a part of this analysis. Um, and I think we'll get there eventually, but it, I agree with you, Martin. It was um, disconcerting <laughs> uh, to hear that they had not heard of that and that they'll look into it, that they'll, you know, that I, I should hope so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are so many cases that happened, but in particular, that one in particular that they didn't know about, I mean, that that is totally uh something that they should be looking into 
You know, I mean, it's just the fact that those things could be shut down and they have, I don't know if you know any of the details to them, but they were all independently operated yeah. and there was no central location where they could have been taken down all 10 of them the way they were. Right. So they were all independent. It's so a big deal. It's, it's really quite crazy. And there was a, um, a, a guest that's coming up on the 21st, Mario Woods. Um, he talks about where they were actually activated and they drove a truck on top of the the doors Ash. over the missile yeah. head. So it wouldn't, you know, and of course, you know, those, those things are like blown off like explosives. So they right. got like a half a mile away thinking this thing was just going to blow. And, you know, that whole thing is just totally amazing. Yeah. Uh, what a story. Yeah. Uh, here's another question that came up here. What personal practices would you recommend to the UFO community to maintain positive mental health while while you uh, pursue this enigma? Yeah. I think that's a good question. It is. Thank you, Tim. I know Tim. He's a good guy. Um, so I, I am very focused on the human element here. Uh, and to me, you know, regardless of whatever specific information we may learn, we still have to deal with our, ourselves. You know, we still have to deal with the way that, you know, we go about our day to day and, and interact with people and, and so for that reason, I think, you know, the same advice that I'd give to someone who doesn't believe this at all, you know, and that that is, you know, spend time getting to know yourself. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be meditation or that's incredibly popular, you know, to take time to meditate. I don't think you have to do that. I just think you have to be intentional and have to spend time understanding who you are and the decisions that, that you've made and what your biases are, what motivates you, uh, that you need to make time for yourself um and 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 take care of those around you you know the, to me that one of the greatest things that a person can do is to be uh you know a, a servant for another person you know to care for someone and to be vulnerable with someone uh, i think that, that that's a wonderful thing to to be able to do if you don't have that opportunity uh i i think those opportunities exist you know you can find you know lots of organizations in your community where you can give back and 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 participate and and do some real tangible good, and doing good for others, I've always found has been good, you know, for 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 me. Um, so yes. I don't have any you know crazy mantras or anything to provide. I just think that people you know really just need to spend time on on the things that we know are are positive. You know, take a walk. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, get a little exercise. <laughs> so. I don't I don't talk too much. You brought it up earlier. I don't talk too much about the abduction part of this and not because uh you know that i don't believe all these people it's 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 confusing and you know um and some of the commonalities are very very interesting to me on what is happening but you mentioned you know day day by day i i could not function if something like that was happening yeah i i just could not function in society if you mentioned uh i believe you said something like in the privacy of your own bedroom at, at their will you know these things are happening whatever it is right uh you know some try to pass it off as what is it called uh sleep paralysis mm -hmm. things like that but not every single one of them can be because there's so many times when things happen during the day when there was no sleep involved and right. you know uh so that that is something, you know, I have a good friend and 
the film business that is uh, doing a film on that aspect of it, oh, separate great. from you know UFOs, and it it really is uh, it really is something, and you know it. If it is, let's just say I'm just throwing this out there. And I'm not saying that that's what it is, but if it happened to be something like extraterrestrial or wherever someone is visiting from, they're here. Um, you know, they wouldn't just like fly over and go away. They would want to explore. I would imagine, you know, now, sure. now I'm thinking on human terms again. Right. <laughs> but, you know, but I would think that anyone that's out there exploring to begin with is curious. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, why would they be exploring? Mm -hmm. So uh, if they are curious, then, you know, perhaps they are uh, tagging and bagging or whatever it is that they're doing. You know, maybe, you know, maybe, maybe some experimenting or, or something like that. Yeah, it's certainly possible. I think uh, to me, I have to uh, treat these experiences very seriously, but I don't necessarily have to take them literally, uh, you know, or, or even personally have believe them, you know, but I, I do think j just like in a, a counseling situation, if someone comes to you and they, you know, they explain something very personal that has changed the way that they view themselves in their life. Uh, and you're, you're listening to that story and you're thinking, yeah, this is, you know, this is a psychosis of this kind, or this is, they've interpreted this event in their life in this way. And if they just interpreted it differently, they would never have come to this conclusion about themselves. You know, I think that it's the same way, you know, when you're listening to someone share their experience, they're being very vulnerable with you as something incredibly personal. And yes. I think you honor that because, you know, how often are people like that? How often are people going to be that genuine with you? Uh, about something that is really impacting who, who they are, you know? And so I think you should, you know, sort of validate that experience, honor that, that, that experience yet also, you know, maybe provide a little bit of space to help them explore what it means, you know, because there are many different interpretations. We've talked about interpretations quite a lot on this show. In fact, uh, you know, you can have an experience and you can interpret it as uh, an angel. You can have an experience interpreted as a demon. You can have, you know, as, as an ET, as a figment of your imagination, you know, all of these are different interpretations. Which, which one is factually valid? You know, I, I don't know that that answer necessarily even matters because it's the way that you interpret it, that it ends up impacting how you go about your day to day. You know, I'm sure I've, I wanted to ask you this, Martin, just because I know you've got so much experience with this, but, you know, I'm sure you've had someone bring you an antique and they've, they've, they've told themselves this story about this antique, you know, it came from so-and-so and it means yeah. this to me and my family. And, you know, it's, it's incredibly valuable or whatever. And you're looking at it and you're thinking in your mind before you say anything to them, this is not at all what they're telling me it is. Uh, oh, and uh, constantly that happens. So how do you navigate that? How do you kind of, oh, well, I, I always try to be, in a professional and kind way. Yeah. But, you know, I had a very interesting happen thing happen when I was in California working at an appraisal clinic in California. Mm. And um, there's a famous eagle carver in Kittery, Maine, back where I used to be from. Mm. This woman shows up and she she's in line. It's a appraisal clinic and it's a garden center. And there's hundreds of people wanting to know what their things are worth. Right. So someone comes running up to me and and says, oh, there's a woman in line. We'd like to put her right up here right away because she has an eagle that belonged to George Washington. Wow. So so I kind of like, I try to, you know, I, I chuckle, okay. You know, I mean, <laughs> if everything belonged to George Washington that people said or whatever, yeah. you know, so right, right. okay, bring, bring her up. So she unwraps this eagle that I know was carved in the town 
that next door to where I live. I grew up in Elliott, Maine. Kittery, Maine is right next to it. Wow. So I look at this eagle and I did some quick calculating and I said, George Washington was dead about 165 years when this was carved. <laughs> and I said, but the good news is this mm. time I had good news. I yes. said, this is a very valuable eagle. Mm. It's very, very highly collectible. A $10,000 eagle, you know, wow. At, the, wow. At, at the time. Um, but, you know, yes, that does happen all the time. There, the, the, what is passed down and what was the relevance of that? You're mentioning these things that are passed down when people think that is their experience is something they think that happened that may not have happened. Is that what it was? Yeah. When we're talking about abductions, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it can very well shape their their life, you know, their 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 story of who they are. Right. And just like a, a prized possession like that, they think it's a. Uh, you know, came from George Washington. It was given to their grandmother and it made its way to their, you know, all yeah. of these things that they, they've concocted or not that they've made it up, but they've, they've inherited a story. It's probably That's more right. likely, right? They've inherited a story mm-hmm. and they, and they, they find it to be true and it means something to them and maybe means quite a lot. And so when you know that to be, you know, not factually accurate, you know, you have a, in some ways almost a responsibility to guide them into the truth. Uh, yes. without being someone that's going to, I mean, you could do it this way. You could be a person with a sledgehammer and say, it's not George Washington and you're, you're an idiot, you know, but I think the human thing to do, <clears throat> the humane thing to do, I should say, is to, you know, guide them into the truth and to do what you just said. And that, I'd say, it's not what you thought it was, but it's still very, really valuable. Even it was, even if it was worthless, you know, it's not what you thought it was, but it means a lot to you. And, yeah. and that, that there is something meaningful in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned lucid dreams. Yes. And dreams in general. You know, I mean, you think of you you hear sometimes like uh, one of the Beatles dreamt something that made him create a song. Right. You know, and uh, but do you think they and I've heard other people, I've heard several people over the years. And recently when I was in Pine Bush talking to someone. And she seemed like she almost had like an experience, but she said it might've been a dream. And I had someone else tell me that years ago that it was an encounter, but it was so real and it might've been a dream. And then another person that sort of had the same thing that she was told that something is going to happen and she's going to know what to do when it happens Yeah, right now. She doesn't know what it is, but she will know. Right. You know, like from beings, this was a, a really strong dream. Right. right? And, and, you know. Well, I, I mean, to me, dreams are fascinating. Um, just like uh, a near-death experience is, is a fascinating experience. This is something that feels more real than real. That's, that's the, the phrase you often hear them use, is it feels more real than real. Um, and I have a friend who's done a lot of experimentation with lucid dreaming. He's, you know, he's tried to kind of explore, believe it or not, you can do things to kind of induce lucid dreaming. Uh, really? I have not, no. yeah, I'm not good like at Like a it. hallucinogen or something? Uh, or? No, there's, um, there are certain kind of uh, practices that you can follow uh, that will kind of get you into a state where it, it may be more likely to occur. Now, some people, lucid dreaming happens very frequently. There are some people, it's a smaller percentage of the population, but they lucid dream often. But others can be taught to lucid dream more regularly. And then there are, there is a, a chemical supplement that you can take. Um, you can get it on, on Amazon 
that uh, <laughs> yeah, what what can't you get on Amazon? But uh, if yeah. you take it, um, you know, supposedly it makes the the likelihood of having a lucid dream uh, a lot higher. Um, and so anyway, his uh, experience that he he recounts to me is uh, he had a lucid dream and everything was incredibly real. Um, and he basically in the dream he had there was a schoolyard or a school building with a brick you know, facade and there was a grassy field and, you know, in his dream, he takes his hand and he rubs it along the brick and he feels where it's tearing the skin and he, he examines the grass and he, you know, you can see the individual blades of grass and it, and it, it feels very, very real, but none of that's happening in his waking state, you know? So to me, it, it, it's, a, it's sort of a signpost. It's one signpost among many, you know, a near-death experience is another one. You can listen to uh, one recently that I found great was uh, Dr. Eben Alexander's near-death experience. Um, here's someone who has no mental activity happening at all. And there's so many examples of near-death experiences. You know, you could just YouTube them and see a ton of them. But, you know, people who are comatose or no brain activity, yet they recount these incredibly rich and detailed experiences. So what is taking place there? You know, what what, what, what is happening? And uh, what kind of phenomenon is that? And and that to me also points to the experiences that we have in waking state. You know, we just assume that because we're all awake, what we're experiencing is, you know, is real. We call that real and we call the dreaming state imaginary. You know, these are interesting distinctions that, that we have kind of just arbitrarily drawn in a way on our human experience. Um, and, and think of how many people, I mean, I'll, I'll go put myself out there as one who have had a dream that has changed their, their life. You know, some people have had dreams that, you know, you have a premonition and you don't, you know, you don't take the drive you're going to take the next day. And if you'd taken it, you would have been in an accident. You know, there are all these kinds of different examples for me. Uh, when I was a lot younger, I had a dream that was the most vivid dream I've had in my entire life. And it was, uh, I, I met with, uh, what I would basically consider to be like a wizened old person, you know, at the top of the world. And essentially they, they told me that the world was ending and then I was transported to the, uh, to the shoreline and uh, the, the ocean had receded. It had basically receded from the, the shore and you could see, you know, kind of the, the debris and everything that was on the, at the bottom of the ocean. And there were these um, like gigantic, rings that kind of formed uh, almost like a tunnel path going into this the depth of what was once the ocean in the sky there were these swirling orbs you know and at the time i wouldn't even used orbs because i wasn't as into ufos as i am now i just they were just swirling balls of light in the sky and uh i started to i felt a compulsion to walk down this tunnel uh, and to go down into these rings into this into the depths here and then as i'm walking I hear this voice behind me and I turn around and it's, it's this woman and uh, she's saying, you can't, you can't go. You gotta, you gotta come back. You gotta come back. And, and I say, well, you're right. I mean, I, it's like, I, so it kind of, she shakes me out of my, you know, sort of trance in a way. And, and I come back to the shore and that woman is my wife. <laughs> so huh? uh, she wasn't my wife at the time, but she is my wife now. So that dream in a way kind of, huh. you know, and you can interpret it many different ways. And I have, you know, so, but it, it was for me kind of validation that I needed to be with her. Um, so would you it, tell her you're the girl in my dreams? I did. I have, I've used that many times, but it's a great one. It's a good line. Uh, yeah. It I worked. I recommend it. It did work. Yeah, it did work. It worked. You're married. You're hitched. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to run a quick uh, minute. Um, this commercial and it's for two friends of the show Sounds great. and it's, they both have books and here we go. 
The Believer is the chilling true story of Dr. John Mack, a renowned Harvard psychiatrist and Pulitzer Prize winner. This is an outreach program from the cosmos to the consciously impaired. He risked it all to investigate human encounters with aliens. The Believer, Alien Encounters, Hard Science, and The Passion of John Mack. Written by award-winning former New York Times journalist and author Ralph Blumenthal. Now available in paperback from High Road Books. Available June 2022 from Flying Disc Press. A book about the people involved in the mystery, covering the golden age of flying saucers. Using newsletters, magazines, case files, official documents, and more. Sure to leave even the diehard skeptic wandering. By Charles Lear, New York, USA. The Flying Saucer Investigators. Available on Amazon from June 2022. The Flying Saucer Investigators. Flying Disc Press. I love playing that commercial for Charles because he has written blogs for this um, for this website, podcastufo.com, for, I believe, four years. Mm. And he's done incredible investigating himself. And he's worked right out of Dave Marler's uh, archives wow. out in New Mexico. And Amazing. he's worked through several other archives, really does some great research. And he finds some really crazy stories. I love hearing these stories for the first time. For the first time, been um, fantastic. Yeah. Well, I wanted to congratulate you, Mar uh, Martin. I did. I wanted to do it at the top of the show, and I forgot. But I wanted to congratulate you on over ten years of shows and over five hundred episodes. Uh, it's oh, absolutely amazing. I have done about fifty shows in total. If you think about all the different things I've done, and it's a lot of work. I know how much goes into that, and uh, I just want to say that I, I really appreciate the things that you've done for this topic and community. Well, and, um, and I'm honored that you invited me to, to talk with you. I, I wanted to ask you a question too, uh, yeah. of all the interviews that, that you've done. I mean, and you've interviewed so many different kinds of people. Um, you know, is there any common characteristic that you could point to in terms of what draws people to this topic? Like, is there anything at all, or is it literally just, it's just everybody and everyone who's interested in this and they find their way to it? I think I think that's it. It's uh, because there's so many different ways that people get involved in this. A lot of times it is because of a sighting that happened to them that they couldn't explain and it impacted their life. But not always. Mm. A lot of times, you know, like you said, in the 80s, you loved watching. Was it Star Wars Star or Star Trek. Trek? Well, both. Yeah. Yeah, both. And, you know, maybe it was something like that that sparks an interest. Well, yeah. You know, maybe there's more to it than, you know, maybe there's really something to this uh, type of thing. So I would say what I've seen is is uh, all all different ways that people have got into it. And the funny thing is uh, when I asked Stan Freeman, I mentioned him earlier, when I asked him what got him interested in the topic to begin with was uh, he said it's because he was cheap and uh, he was in school in uh, in grade school, I think he said. Mm. and that he was ordering books from the book club and he needed to order one more book. And for a dollar more, there was one on UFOs. Wow. And that, that was how he got into the topic all the way back then when he was that young and went on to, you know, be a nuclear physicist. So before he jumped out of that and did, you know, over 500 lectures all over the, all over the world. It's incredible. So, I mean, how do you make sense of an event like that? It's so, 
mundane, you know, literally transforming a person's life and, you know, characterizing their life's work. It's incredible. It's one of the things I always ask people when they're, when they come on the show and I asked you tonight, you know, what got you interested in the topic? Because you never know what you're going to hear and, uh, you know, how someone actually did. And, you know, sometimes it's a fantastic story. Sometimes it's just, sometimes they don't really know, you know, exactly how, what led them here. Yeah. You know, but it's, it is, it is always interesting as we go along. We've got, uh, we've got about, let's see, about 15, 15 or 16 minutes left. Um, So can you talk a little bit about what you do on these shows that you have? You have two different shows. That's right. Are you co-host with both of those shows? I am. Yeah. And so can you talk about what, what you explore in those? Sure. Absolutely. I'd love to. So, uh, the show that I got started on is called calling all beings. And I got into that show in a way by accident. Um, I'm a fan of, uh, another podcast called that UFO podcast. It's, uh, in the UK and it's oh, yeah. hosted by Andy McGrillen. He's probably heard of. Yeah. And so I'm a supporter of that show. And, and Andy, uh, just like yourself has done a great job of, you know, listening to his audience and incorporating an audience feedback and stories into, in his, into his productions. And, and he did some shows uh, called listener questions. So I would call in a couple of times and, you know, ask some questions. And this was last year and uh, just get into conversation with Andy. I wanted to talk about this with somebody because I was just so interested. And uh, through that interaction, uh, you know, Andy introduced me to, uh, another gentleman who had a podcast totally unrelated to UFOs. Uh, his podcast was on uh, the NBA and MMA, so completely unrelated. <laughs> just, yeah. But he he was in the Air Force and he was uh, a flight engineer uh, in the Air Force and and on in uh, involved with special operations. And he and I, our paths crossed through Andy. And because he was getting into the topic at the same time, he said, you know, why don't we just, uh, if you're interested, why don't we just partner up and like, let's do a podcast. I said, well, you know, I, I'm interested in this. I'd like, like to, to do that and, and engage with it more directly. So let's give it a try. So we started Calling All Beings. Uh, and that's then morphed into a show that now has, I think we have a total of five uh, panelists. Uh, we have a couple of therapists uh, on the show. We have uh, an experiencer on the show. And so we bring on guests and we interview them and we kind of go, you know, round table and, and ask different questions from our own different perspectives. Uh, we, we cut up a little bit. It's got a little bit of humor. Uh, Calling All Beings is kind of a, it's a very community focused show. Um, I have a, a real heart for, you know, trying to build communities uh, wherever I find myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a person that wants to be, you know, positive and, and encouraging and uplifting and, and uh, and validate people wherever they may be. Uh, I'm not into doing a show that it's uh, you know kind of sniping at other people's content or uh, you know being down on everything that somebody says. I just want to listen to people and have good conversations. So, calling all beings is really focused on I think that particular aspect. Um, on the other show that I co-host, uh, it's called Liminal Frames, and you spell frames with a ph, so that comes from the phenomenon. So liminal frames. Uh, Liminal Frames is uh, a totally different animal. Um, my co-host is uh, his name is Exo Academian, so he's totally pseudonymous. Uh, you know, talk about anonymity. He's uh, I don't you know most people don't know anything about him um, other than his pseudonym. 
Um, but it just so happens that uh, I'm a fan of his show. It's called Point of Convergence. And uh, one day while I'm listening to the show, you know, he kind of signs off at the end. He says, I'm, you know, doing the show from the Blue Ridge Mountains. And I'm thinking to myself, well, I'm in the Blue Ridge Mountains. You know, like I got to find this guy. How do I find uh. this guy? So I sent him an email and uh, eventually our, our paths cross and, and we meet up and, and we decide that we're going to do a, a kind of a joint show together, which is Liminal Frame. So we do that show every other week and it's published on his uh, Exo Academian YouTube channel. But but what we're doing there is we're really trying to uh, go through aspects of the phenomenon uh, of, UF, of the UFO uh, topic uh, and explore those things from a lot of different angles. Um, you know, we again, I'm coming back to this notion of interpretation, right? And so th there are many ways that we can interpret the things that are happening and things we hear about happening in this in this topic. And we think that it's really important for uh, people to be able to kind of keep in their tools toolkit and uh, the the ability to to hold out and you know one of these experiences or incidents or whatever and examine it from different aspects so we really work hard on that show to take things that are familiar to folks who are into this topic but you know kind of move them around and and look at them from different perspectives and 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 kind of find some validity in each of those uh, perspectives we we find that you can gain a greater understanding of what what's going on if you if you're brave enough to ask those different questions and and sit with what those different conclusions might be uh so uh, you know if you're into you know kind of more of the consciousness aspect of this if you're into you know kind of more of the heady or academic sort of side of the, this topic then liminal frames would be for you and if you're really into the community stuff and kind of positive energy then Calling all beings would be uh, your forte as well. So, two two interests that I have that I fortunately have the ability to to, to do in in, the, in this space. So the uh, liminal frames mm -hmm. that's P H R A M. That's right? correct. Yeah, and in the chat. and how do you pick your topics in, in that? That's a great question. So we uh, we meet in person in the off weeks where we are not recording. Um, I see. Wow. And we usually meet over a beer or a coffee. And we'll talk for like three hours. It's the beer uh, that'll do it. It's the beer that'll do it. But what's <laughs> funny about it, Martin, is like, so we'll, we'll talk for like three hours and we'll basically shut down the establishment. And, you know, we have to literally leave because they're closing the doors. And it's at that point where we're like, well, what are we going to talk about on the next show? Like, we don't talk about the show until the very end. Um, but yeah, that's you know, how I research my guests, too. It's right? crazy. Five right? It's just before. you just got to let it happen to you, I think. Um <laughs> But we've had a, a wonderful time doing that, and uh, we've changed the format a little bit. Um, and right now, our format is we basically take like a few clips, a few audio clips, and we'll we'll play that audio and and then discuss, you know, whatever's whatever happens to be in that in that clip. So we'll we'll pull things from different interviews and and, and go over that material. And your panel of five on calling all beings. Mm -hmm. What do you discuss on that in particular again? More yes. or less, is it is it about you said you had an experiencer as one of the people involved. Does that, does that something you also explore and talk about? We do. And, and we give her uh, the space to kind of ask the question from, from her own experience there. Uh, so um, I think the, the, the strength of our show is the diversity of our, of our panel. Um, it is challenging to host a show uh, in an hour, an hour and a half with uh, when you have five people asking questions, but the, wow. the, the yeah. benefit of that is that um 
each person really brings something special to the conversation, whether that be a little dash of humor or something that's, you know, really gets you thinking uh, or, you know, something that is, um, you know, validating and nurturing and or even kind of very data centric, you know. So we have uh, uh, one of our panelists, Deb, uh, has done a ton of work with documents and she has a website called the UFO Connector. Uh, where she just, it, it's a wonderful resource for this material, but she comes at it from a kind of research, researcher's perspective. So you get all of these different voices engaging with the guest. Uh, try, we do our best to try to make them feel at home. Uh, Martin, we'd love to have you on the show <laughs> and uh, and just to have a wonderful sure. conversation where we can, you know, hopefully learn a little bit more about what, what's going on uh, in in an area where there's just not that much information, right? Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of speculation and no information. Yes, information <laughs> and, poor, uh, unfortunately. Uh, yeah, and but I still find it, you know, you mentioned how many shows and how many years I've been doing this. I, I wouldn't be doing it unless I, you know, I wouldn't be doing it for the money because there is none. So uh, <laughs> right. it's about it's about the fascination. You know, it's about, yes. uh, I personally think it's the biggest topic that we could possibly um, you know, ever get an answer to if we ever do. Okay. I, I don't have a lot of faith in my lifetime that I'll actually know what's going on, but, uh, but it's possible, you know, it's possible. I, I do think, you know, one of the things that the hearing that I thought was kind of interesting was that they, I forget who it was that said it. Um, I, I can't remember, but it was basically along the lines that, we will share information unless it's something that uh, the methods on how um, on how we get this information would have to be, uh, you know, uh, I forget exactly what would have to be classified or mm -hmm. or something like that. In other words, if they found out that they're extraterrestrial, we'll never know. I mean, <laughs> I don't know what what they were trying to say exactly, but. Uh, if they said if we found out this way or that way, we can't reveal how we resource these things. So, you know, right. so that wouldn't be known, basically. Yeah, it's uh, I mean, we're all watching, I think, with bated breath and what's going to happen there. Um, I'm I'm an optimist. I'm encouraged by the momentum that we've seen in, in the last few years. Um, I do think we're going to get this uh, a little bit further than we've had it before. Um, at the same time, I, I, you know, I do think that we have to be realistic. Um, you know, as you said, we may not, uh, you know, we may not really get get the answers that we think we're going to get, um, and that might be okay. I mean, at the end of the day, I think we have to realize that no matter what we learn, we're going to have more questions, and that's okay. You know, yeah. so we need to be comfortable with questions. Uh, we're not going to get all of our answers and and just be done with it, and then somehow reach some kind of informational nirvana. You know, it's not it's not going to happen. Um, right. What was your take on uh, uh, USDI Moultrie's, uh, you know, sort of admission of his interest in science fiction? And, you know, did you think, how do you feel like I that? Personally, I, I personally thought they were kind of belittling him. But Leslie Kane, when she was on the show, she said that, uh, you know, they're more humanizing it. And yeah. I don't think they, I think she's probably right. I don't think they were. Uh, you know what? I'm going to open the lines. I, we only have. Uh, about 10 minutes. We might be able to take one call or two. That phone number is up on the screen, 855-472-5483. Bill is standing by. So if you have a question for our guest tonight, 
Um, like I said, we could take one or two calls. It seems like there's been some good activity in the in the chat uh, tonight as far as people wanting to know um, things. So again, that number is up on the screen, 855-472-5483. And Bill is waiting to take your call. Um, so yeah, I yeah, agree, I, Martin, on that, uh, on your, on, on Leslie's sort of comment though, I, I, I felt that to be, like you can think about that, that situation with those military men and, uh, and that, that particular setting. And it feels so very official and stuffy. And uh, the fact that he was, you know, really kind of, uh, being open about an interest, a hobby that he has that, that some people might find weird for a serious military person. I thought that was really great. Yeah. Um, no, it is. If you, if you think about it, a lot of people, um, you know, I had someone from the CIA that was on and a lot of people from the CIA mm -hmm. are interested in the topic. That doesn't mean that they're wacko. Right. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a mystery. It's a, it's, it, it's something. And, uh, I've mentioned on this show before, you know, I, I looked at an FBI, a state of an FBI um, agent that was in, I believe in China. I thought Japan, but I believe he was in China. Um, but his footlocker had MJ 12 papers in it, you know, really copies of it, but that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> it doesn't really mean anything. Right, right. It means he might've had an interest in it. Exactly. I mean, so, they're, the government's full of people too, right? I mean, they're just yeah. uh, they're just like you and me. They're they're our neighbors and family members, and I think it's helpful to remember that. Uh, you know, we're all trying to get answers here, and um, yes, where there may be situations where we can't reveal everything, and and I hope that those are there are good reasons for that. Um, right, right, and uh, I'm trying to think. Well, let's see. I had John uh, Ramirez mm, um, yeah. from the retired from the CIA. And he basically said that the people that he knew in his office in the CIA were drawn. They were they always always interested in the UFO topic, but were drawn to be into this in the CIA. I've heard which him I say think that, is yeah. another another really uh, funny characteristic. So uh, mm. last call for calls. I'll take down the sign coming up uh, in just about five minutes. So we only have time for a call or two. The numbers eight five five four seven two five four eight three. I thought for sure we'd get some people calling in. <laughs> it's okay. I see a lot of folks, a lot of names that I'm familiar with in uh, in the social space. Um, I do see a question there about Bob Lazar. Oh dear, that one. Well, every that, time that's the I, hot potato. Every time do you I get that one every that, episode? <laughs> that's a hot potato. Uh, yeah, I get I get uh, wet. I think we're saved by the bell. It looks like we got uh, we have Jeff. Uh, let, let me add this to the stream. We have Jeff calling from Indiana. Jeff, you are live and on the air. Welcome to the show. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, good evening, Martin. Good evening. Uh, and uh, I, uh, I just wanted to say that I thought the uh, the letters, the first uh, report to the Congress, and the meeting that they had the other day, it was just a bunch of nothing. And the fact that those fellows knew nothing of the Maelstrom where they shut our nuclear missiles down was just absolutely. Yeah, we did. We actually talked about that earlier. Yes. You may be just joining the show, uh, but yeah, we talked about that earlier. That well, was... I, I, I listened to it. I was, I was seconding what you said there. It was just, Oh, I see. If, if they don't think that was, uh, they should know that when this, uh, that's a matter of national security. 
Uh, that, that's pathetic that these guys. I don't believe those guys for one thing. For what they that they said that they'd never heard that before. You know, I just don't believe it. And uh, I, I just they're 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 still stonewalling. They're not going to tell us nothing. And and probably the only reason they've come this far is I believe the pilots uh, don't want to operate in, in an unsafe atmosphere around their ships. They're afraid of having collisions. And I think yeah. they're a force, more or less, you know, and then along with Lou Dallas what he he decided to come out. Uh, but uh, I, I, I don't know. That was almost too good to be true. This is almost too good to be true. And we're going, oh, we're going to get disclosure. But guess what? We really aren't getting a whole lot of information yet, you know. But um, I've been researching this a long time. Uh, you know, you want to know what who these beings are. Uh, Dr. Edgar Mitchell said he, he he correlated it directly to the Bible. Now, I don't know. You know, I I I, I kind of got to agree with him. And, and in my opinion, I believe if you want to think of anything, if you're pertaining to the Bible, what these things would be, they are the fallen angels. And supposedly, according to the Bible, God cast. Lucifer and a third of the angels that was his followers down onto the earth, and this is now his domain. And it's it's just a um, it's a it's a uh, it's a lottery or it's a it's a competition for he who ends up with the most souls wins, either Lucifer or or God, the Creator. And I think we're in the middle, but uh, this is supposedly Lucifer's domain. And he's not a human. None of the angels were ever human. Uh, do you, uh, excuse me, Jeff, do you have a question for our guest? Uh, well, you know, he was elaborating a while ago as uh, being, uh, being raised in a religious setting. And uh, I was kind of, and he drifted off of that, you know, and then and I, I was, uh, I was kind of giving, uh, I guess I guess I guess I really don't you know have a, a, a question for him. I've listened to him the whole show, and I'm, and uh, he seems very uh, uh, interested in this subject. I'm an experiencer, and you know I'll tell you what you guys need. You need you need to experience it, like I have. My wife did in broad daylight, and it went on for quite a while, and we got about as good a look at these machines. They are machines as you can get. And when you, once you see it, you will be, you will really be uh, an investigator after that. I mean, you will be, when you know what you see, like you said. Um, All right. I have well, a question. Um, well, we are running out of time, just to let you know. Oh, okay. Um, I just, uh, I just don't know. No, I just, if, 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 what would be the how could you pressure Congress anymore to uh, to, to to make these guys come through and, and and tell us the Pentagon to tell us what's going on? You know what could what do you think could be done? Because we're not going to get it. I can tell you right now. Thanks, yeah. Mark, for having right. me. Sorry, thank I'm you. Sure, thank you. Yeah, great question. And, and Jeff, and I we have say- two, we have 
less than two minutes. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's, <laughs> let's hit it quick then. So Jeff, uh, uh, I think it's great. The, uh, passion that you have for the topic and, and then I would love to you know, hear about your experience. It sounds very, you know, impressive. Um, you know, I think I agree with him that the the pilots are are incredibly compelling, and I think that the the, the Congress members uh, seem to be aware of that as well. In fact, many of them have heard that testimony uh, in in private briefings. So I I would hope that we will get some of these pilots uh, behind the microphone in a public fashion uh, in future hearings. I'm hearing a lot about uh, hearings that will continue to take place. I think this is going to be a, a pretty big year for the this the, the subject. There's a lot happening. Uh, I know people hear this all the time, but there is quite a lot happening behind the scenes uh, in pushing this forward, uh, at least for the people that I traffic with and and the people that you know they are connected to. Uh, I know that there's a lot taking place. So uh, again, I'm an optimist. I think that uh, it's hard to put this uh, sort of uh, toothpaste back in the tube. I think uh, we're going to yeah. continue to see momentum here and. You know, if with any luck, we'll all be brushing our teeth with it uh, <laughs> eventually. So, yeah. Hey, Nathan, it's been really a, a real pleasure talking to you. It was great. I'm glad I took the chance on a one namer. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Martin. So, and uh, I look forward to talking with you in the future. All right. You take care. And yeah, sure. I'll be on your show. All Excellent. Right. All right. Take care. All right. Bye. All right. That's it for our show tonight. Thank you, everyone, very much. And we'll be back next week with Philip Mantle and Charles Lear in that order both talking about uh, their new books and a lot more. Uh, again, thank you, and remember to keep your eyes to the sky.